I recently heard a teaching that was so profound to me and so transformational, I regarded it as an epiphany. It left me with a mantra and a category and a question that I had never thought of before. In 61 years, just never thought of it. And ever since this teaching, I now think about it every day. And it's just so helpful. So I was very eager for this morning to be able to share it with you. The context was that Greater Jewish Boston is sending 350 people to Israel in a few weeks to celebrate Israel's 75th. And that translates into something like nine buses of Greater Boston Jews, including 60 to 62 from Temple Emanuel. And this was a Zoom call where Mark Baker, the head of CJP, was talking to the people who are going to be kind of chaperoning these buses, leading these buses, leading the conversation on these buses on this upcoming trip to Israel. And Mark was inviting us to be very intentional to think about how should we think about leading our people on this bus to Israel at this time. And he told us a story. He said that before he got to CJP, when he was still at GAN, he was hired by CJP to be the leader of a group of Boston Jewish leaders, young leaders called Aharai. And the very first thing that he did when he became the Aharai leader was to change his job title. He was hired to be a scholar of this group. He had no interest in being a scholar of this group. He changed his title to Jewish Journey Facilitator. He said a scholar's job is to transmit facts. And the relationship of a scholar is the scholars up here and the students are there and the scholar is transmitting facts. Not interested in that. He wanted to be a Jewish journey facilitator to walk with and to work with the people in his group to help them make sense, to help them make meaning out of the complex experience that they were in the middle of. And then he shared the following story that would drive home the difference between being a scholar and being a journey facilitator. The group on one particularly hard, gruesome day went to Auschwitz. And there, of course, they confronted the unimaginable. And there they confronted the ultimate in inhumanity. And most people on that trip had never been to Auschwitz. They had heard about it and read about it, but never been there. And now they're there in Auschwitz. And when their trip of the camp was over, they went into the adjacent grounds of Auschwitz, the grounds of Auschwitz. And all they wanted was space and silence to process, to think about what they had seen. But unfortunately, Auschwitz came with the Auschwitz tour guide. And the Auschwitz tour guide escorted them to the grounds, 
and just started talking at them. Facts and factoids and figures about Auschwitz. Talk about Auschwitz. Talk, 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 talk. And it really ticked them off. Mark cautioned us, don't be the talking head. And then he said, your job is not to transmit content. Your job is to help them make meaning of. And then he landed the following question that I have turned over in my head ever since. He said, do you make space or do you take up space? Do you make space for the other person? Or do you take up all the oxygen in the room? Talk, 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 talk. Now this distinction is obviously critical for tour guides. We've all been on tours where the tour guide is talk, 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 without having any interest in whether this pre-programmed spiel lands or not. But it's not just for tour guides. This question, do we make space or do we take up all the space, is relevant to every one of us. And it's relevant to every one of us all the days of our lives. And here's why this question, make space or take space, is so important. Very simply, it is this. It goes to the issue of how good you are with people. How good you are with other human beings. And the quality of your relationships with other human beings. Because if you take up all the space, other people might tolerate you if they have no choice but to tolerate you. And they'll spend time with you if they have no choice but to spend time with you, but they won't like it. But if you make space for other people, then they feel seen and valued and cared about, and then they will want to spend time with you. Now, here's the good news. All of us can live our lives so that we make space for the other people. And there are three simple moves that can help us get there. Here's the first one. I'll tell you the most powerful question in the entire world. If you ask this question and you really mean it, it is the most powerful question in the entire world when you say it and you mean it. And that is, what do you think? What do you think? Um, have I ever mentioned Andy Stanley before? <laughs> so I was talking last week about the keystone habit concept that Andy Stanley was talking about from Charles Duhigg's book about the power of habit. And for those of you who weren't here, just in brief, the keystone habit is so powerful because it, it's, a, it's a habit so powerful that it changes the way you do business the rest of your time. For, and the example that 
he gives is if you do a daily workout and you're focused on your health, then you eat better, you sleep better, you drink better, you, you, you're more focused, and you live better. That daily workout's a keystone habit. So he told the story about his church, the North Point Church, was asking the following question. What should our keystone habit be as a church? We have it's a big church. They have a lot of church employees, a lot of church staff. What's the keystone habit that every employee of the North Point Church should take as, as their keystone habit? And Andy Stanley had some ideas, but he didn't act on them. Instead, he asked the staff, what do you think? And he really meant it. And they came up with an answer that was not the answer that he would have given. Namely, after a lot of meetings, they said, what's the purpose of our church? The purpose of our church, the mission of the church is to build a church that unchurched people would love to attend which, by the way, is pretty good mission for Temple Emmanuel. Could you imagine a Shabbos morning that was so magical that people who don't like going to shul love to come to shul? It's kind of a fetching notion. And that's what they're working on, building a church that unchurched people would love to attend. And then Andy Stanley said, so what do you do? So they had the following thought. This is the staff of the church. We all know people who are unchurched. We see them at Starbucks. We see them in the doctor's office. We see them at the soccer field. We see them at the sports contest. We see them in the cashier line. And when you strike up a conversation and you say, hey, how are you? If you hear one of three knots, N-O-T, one of three knots, how am I? I'm not doing well. I am not prepared. Or I am not from here. Not doing well, not, not prepared, not from here. The new keystone habit is to say, hmm, you know what? I go to a church, and I think our church can help. You want to come to church with me next Sunday, and I'll sit with you. And everybody who works for this church, all the staff, committed to that keystone habit. Anytime they encountered a, one of the three knots, they invited that person who was standing in line at Starbucks come to church, and it happened, and now they're getting more people coming to church, and they're getting a lot of insights. In other words, is your first posture, let me tell you what I think. Or is your first posture, what do you think? Is your first posture to talk or to listen? If you say, what do you think, and you mean it, that will make space. Here's the second, the second kind of question that you can ask. And we all ask this every day, 100 times a day, in a perfunctory way. But if you can ask this question in a real way, it's a difference maker, which is, how are you doing, really? We all say, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. But if you can create a space where you can say, how are you doing, really? That makes space for the other person. So I'll never forget six years ago when my father-in-love was widowed, and he had been with my mother-in-love for 70 years. And this is December of 2016. And I would say, Dad, how are you? And he would say, you know... And then he, he quoted something that, um, that is not nice, wish it weren't true, but it's totally true. He would say, how am I? Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. By which he meant that he couldn't actually tell people how he really was. Because if somebody said to him, how are you, having just lost his wife for 70 years? 
and he said, how am I? I'm broken, I'm shattered, I'm alone, I'm vulnerable, I'm terrible. Most people would avoid the conversation. So what he had to say when people asked him, how are you, was, I'm doing great, I'm doing good, I'm doing, I'm, I'm strong, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm great, right? Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. But there was one person who was a friend who called him every Tuesday at 4 o'clock, uh, his time, uh, in my father-in-law's time. Uh, this friend lived in the States. And this friend asked him every week, Tuesday at 4 o'clock, how are you really? And that was the one space where my father-in-law could actually talk about how he was really, and it was a lifeline. So here's the second way to make space. Find out a way to ask, how are you really? And be genuinely interested in the answer. Uh, it seems like kind of common sense, but as Gary would say, it's common sense, not common practice. It would be a very rare and precious gift to create that kind of space for somebody else. How are you really? And here's the third thing that allows us to make space, which is, can you be comfortable with uncomfortable silence? Or does uncomfortable silence make you want to rush in with the word slurry? And if you can be comfortable with uncomfortable silence, that will make space. So the best example of this comes from the best TV show in the history of TV, Friday Night Lights. It's about football in rural, high school football in rural Texas. And this particular scene involves Matt Saracen, who was known as QB2. Matt Saracen was the second string quarterback until there was a life-altering injury to QB1, the star quarterback. And now this career backup, QB2, finds himself QB1. He's the starting quarterback. And then when you look into his life, it turns out his mother left him, his father left him, he has no siblings. He lives with his grandmother. And his grandmother has active dementia. So he's trying to be this football quarterback in football craze Texas, and he's all on his own, and he has a grandmother with dementia. And there's this one scene, very wrenching, where he's talking to Coach Taylor, Coach Eric Taylor. And he says, everybody leaves me. My mom left me. My father left me. I'm all alone living with my grandma. She doesn't take care of me. I got to take care of her. And I don't know what to do. I'm 17 years old. And what does Coach Taylor say? Absolutely nothing. He's just with him. And that silent presence makes this tormented player feel a little bit less alone. That's the question. Can we do silent presence without an unhelpful word slurry? So, do you take up space or do you make space? If we can do these three simple moves, what do you think? How are you really? And just listen with silent presence. Then we will be able to make space for the other person. And here's what's at stake in this whole thing. Jewish mystics give us the role model of who is the best at this. It would be none other than God. Because if you think about the Kedusha, 
we say, God's presence fills the entire universe. So if God's presence fills the entire universe, how is there room for anybody else, for anything else? And the answer is tzimtzum. God contracts. God shrinks. God's self to make room for us. Now, if you think about it, that's pretty remarkable, that the ultimate self-shrinker is God. The ultimate self-contractor is God. And that offers all of us a paradox, which is simply this. This is a paradox. The more space we take, the smaller our impact. The less space we take, the greater our impact. So, do you take space or do you make space? That happens to be a good question for tour guides, but it's really a question for us all. Shabbat Shalom.